0: The reading is on page 472, and it's Ecclesiastes 1, 1 through 11. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. What does man gain from all his labor at which he toils under the sun? Generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and turns to the north. Round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full to the place the streams come from. There they return again. All things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear its fill of hearing. What has been will be again. What has been done will be done again. There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say? Look, this is something new. It was here already, long ago. It was here before our time. There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who follow. Uh,
1: The next reading is found on page 857 of your Bibles and it comes from 1 Peter chapter 1 beginning at verse 3. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. Kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that your faith, of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him, and even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy, for you are receiving the goal of your faith, the salvation of your souls.
2: Thanks Kim and thanks Rach for reading beautifully. Uh, Friends, if you didn't catch who I was, I'm Simon, I'm one of the pastors here, and over the next three weeks we're going to be looking at um, this rather enigmatic or mysterious or odd text called Ecclesiastes. Um, So keep Ecclesiastes open in front of you if you will, Um, go back to page 472, that's where we're going to kind of be hanging for a fair bit of tonight. Um, I'm going to pray. Uh, that God may help us to listen, that God may help me to serve you um, as we open up the scriptures tonight and hear from God. Let's pray. Let's pray. Father, how majestic is your name in all the earth. How majestic is your name in all the earth. Father, we tonight come together as people saved by your grace with eyes open to what you really are doing in the world and so we cry out how majestic is your name in all the earth father we want to leave here tonight still saying that word how majestic is your name in all the earth we want to be people who give you the glory for what you've done for us in jesus Father, we come here tonight as a bunch of people who are saved by your grace who or who are seeking to know your grace in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, Father, I pray that by your spirit you'd help me to open up the scriptures faithfully and with power. Father, by your spirit tonight, please speak to our hearts. Renew our confidence in you. Begin a new journey tonight, I pray, with you. That, Father, our eyes will be open to what you are really doing and so that we all might tonight leave crying how majestic is your name in all the earth. And so, Father, please be gracious to us this night and speak to us by your word for the sake of our risen Saviour, whose name is Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray. Amen. Amen. There's a Bible verse on the screen. It says, These challenging yet awesome words you are not your own for you were bought with a price so glorify god in your body you are not your own you were bought with a price so glorify god in your body how sweet are those words Either you're a Christian here tonight, there are two kinds of people, either you're a Christian here tonight or you are not yet a Christian and by God's grace you are here because God is calling you to himself. Let me speak first. If you're a Christian here tonight, you are not your own. You belong to Jesus. You belong to the Messiah, the Messiah who, who has bought you with the price of his own life. You are not your own. You've been bought by Jesus Christ, by God. God made you. You are not your own. And he's bought you. Therefore, glorify God with your body. Your life is not your own. It belongs to God if you're a Christian here tonight. Glorify God in your body. That is why God created you. That is what God purposed you for, to glorify God in your life and in your body. He made you for that. He bought you for that. This is something that gives meaning. This is the meaning of your life. Have you got it? How are you going with that? How are you going as a Christian, someone who is bought by the blood of Jesus, how are you going with giving all the glory to God, including the glory that you have in your body? How are you going? If you're not a Christian, this is what Jesus offers for you today. To glorify God in the fullest sense you possibly can. To do what you were made for if you're not a Christian here tonight. To know God as your creator. To know Jesus as your saviour. Does that sound exciting to you? Maybe not. I think as we explore tonight, I hope that as we open up the Bible tonight, you will see that this is all you have. This is all you have. To love God. To know that you are not your own. To know that Christ laid down his life for you. Because all that lasts is God. All that lasts is Jesus. And whether you're a Christian and you go, Hallelujah to that verse and I'm working hard at being like that. I'm wanting to glorify God with my body. Or you're not yet a Christian and you're here tonight and you want answers to questions The first thing I want to say is to do what this verse asks us to do is costly. It's costly. Whether you're a Christian, whether you're not a Christian, it will cost. What will it cost? It will cost your life to honour God with your body always. I didn't say it. Jesus says it. Jesus says whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel will save it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospel, that bit that talks about someone laying down, purchasing us from darkness into light, if you lose your life for that, for Jesus and for the gospel's sake, you will save it. John Piper writes, better to lose your life for Jesus than waste it. Better to lose your life for Jesus than waste it. And it's interesting, friends, tonight as we come to look at Ecclesiastes, this is really the message of Ecclesiastes as well. A book written hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years ago, the book we're going to look at over the next three weeks, it explores the big questions of life. What is the meaning of life? Why am I here? What is the point of me being here tonight in this body, in this flesh, you being here tonight in your body, in your flesh? What's the point of life? Have you ever asked that question? If you haven't asked that question, trust me, I think it's going to come. One day you'll ask that question. Why am I here? What's the, what gain do I make from being in this body, in this earth all the time? If you haven't asked it already, one day you will. A few of us guys from over at Love and DeBay Church a few months, or a couple of months ago went and saw the film Prometheus. Who's, who's seen Prometheus? Me and one other. We, I don't normally go and see kind of sci-fi films. It's not normally my style. I just normally, I don't go to the movies very often and when I do go, I get dragged kicking and screaming by Adele to go and watch a romantic comedy and I just wonder why I'm alive at those points. <laughs> But in the film Prometheus, it's a movie by Ridley Scott. Ridley Scott wrote, uh, did um, directed Blade Runner. Uh, he also did Alien. And in the same sort of genre, where it's not just about crazy aliens doing crazy things to human beings, he asks some big questions. And in Prometheus, it's no different. Uh, for the con- I won't give it away, because all of you need to go and see it. Um, <laughs> Prometheus is basically a film about a bunch of intrepid explorers set way up into the future. I think it's like 2090, something like that. They... They decide we've discovered the source of human life. We've discovered where our creator exists far off into the universe and we're going to go and find this guy. We're going to go and find our creator. And so they pile into this crazy spaceship and fly off to kind of the ends of the universe in order to kind of discover who their creator is. It's profoundly theological in the sense that they go, we know we've been created, we want to go and find out why we were created. That's their big question. I won't give it away too much but in the end, they kind of end up just fighting for the existence of the human race and, well, anyway, go and watch the movie. But it's profound, isn't it? These, they're asking big questions. What's the meaning of life? Why am I here? Who made me? And if they did make me, what the heck am I here for? That's kind of what they're asking. Didn't work out so well for them, not to give it away. <laughs> but it's interesting, isn't it? When you come to the Bible, there's a text in the Bible which asks these same questions. It's not like the Bible some kind of elusive document that only certain people really can sort of play with and you've got to have the right mind and the right heart to be able to kind of grapple with it. There's a book in the Bible, Ecclesiastes, which deals with these questions, which comes to the table and lays out, I feel like life is hopeless, it's futile, what am I doing here? I'm just going to now test everything I can see in front of me to try and work it out. Isn't it amazing, a book in the Bible that confronts those questions? Ecclesiastes, I decided, is much like a machete. Look out! Over the next three weeks, you're going to feel like you've been cut up into pieces, as the writer of Ecclesiastes, as this particular character whose name is Kohelet, or the teacher, or the preacher, basically asks these big questions and works out what really matters in life. What is life all about? And he basically hacks away everything we think gives our lives meaning. And just undoes it all. Are you willing to come with me? Are you braced for it? Three weeks. Let's have a quick look. Uh, Chapter 1, verse 1. The words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. We meet who our teacher is in verse 1, chapter 1. His name is the teacher. In the original, it's Kohalet coalet uh, basically is a good Hebrew word which just means someone who around him is gathered an assembly of people wanting to listen to his wisdom. And so he could be a preacher. He could be a teacher. He could be just Kohelet. Um I think I'll just interchange words as we go because I won't be able to keep my mind engaged in one way or another. But let's go. He's the teacher, son of David. He's a believer in God. He actually believes God exists but he's like super pessimistic about life. He's like, I know God's out there somewhere, but I don't know what the heck I'm supposed to be doing down here under the sun. And that's, what, that's who we meet. Ecclesiastes comes in a big, wide kind of pool of literature um, called the wisdom literature in the Bible. Um, other forms of wisdom literature in the Bible are Song of Songs, uh, Job, various Psalms or wisdom Psalms, Um other part, we find Proverbs and then we find Ecclesiastes. Ecclesiastes and Proverbs kind of sit uncomfortably next to each other in our Bibles and almost theologically as well. Let me tell you, this is my really quick like, synopsis of what Proverbs is. Proverbs is, act wise, good things will happen to you. Act silly, bad things will happen to you. That's kind of Proverbs in a nutshell. Do silly things, bad things are going to come your way. Do good things, be wise life will kind of work out pretty well for you. Ecclesiastes just goes, well, actually, sometimes wise people have bad things happen to them. And sometimes bad, to- bad people have really good things happen to them. But what's the one thing that Ecclesiastes kind of shares with the good guys and the bad guys and the wise guys and the dumb guys? Everyone dies in the end. That's kind of what happens. That's the difference. Proverbs and Ecclesiastes then kind of sit uncomfortably next to each other. But ultimately they're rooted in the character of God and they're rooted in him. And they're rooted ultimately in Genesis chapter 1 to 3. This is to get really biblical for you. Genesis chapter 1 to 3 is the creation narrative. Uh, Genesis 1 to 2 is all about the goodness of God's creation, that God created this amazing world in which we live carefully, deliberately and purposefully. It's a good world. God, on day seven, he doesn't just collapse into his couch exhausted. He sits back on day seven and goes, this is fantastic. This is very good. We get to then share in that kind of delight in God's creation. That's Genesis chapter 1 and 2. Genesis 3, sin comes into the world. And the consequence of human sin is death. We die, we reject God, we cut off our source of life and so we die. Made to live for God forever, made to be in the garden with God in his goodness and delighting in God himself and delighting in God's good creation forever and looking after it as God intended, and yet sin creeps in. We choose sin, not God, and so we, as a result, die. You're going to find that Ecclesiastes is all about death. It kind of brings everything back to that common denominator for all of us. It used to be the only two certainties in life were death and taxes. Now it's just death. You can go to Monaco, you don't have to pay tax ever. Heaps of tax-free kind of havens around the world. Death creeps up on us all and it's what sucks our lives devoid of meaning. So Colette, this wise one, the son of David, interestingly, king in Jerusalem, let's have a look, he's probably Solomon. Solomon's son was David, and when David, when Solomon was king in Jerusalem, he was one of the wisest guys going around. People flocked to hear his wisdom. And so it most likely is Solomon, who we're hearing here, who has the great wisdom. That's one voice. We actually basically hear the wisdom of the teacher, Coalette, the son of David, all the way through. But there's, guy, there's another guy who kind of compiles it all. We'll call him... I don't know, Nigel the narrator. He's the narrator and he kind of packages it all together. He's taken all the wisdom of Solomon, this Kohelet teacher, packaged it up and we'll hear him. We hear him there in verse 1. These are the words of the teacher, son of David, king in Jerusalem. He's the other voice we'll hear over the next three weeks. And it's interesting, verse 2, have a look. Verse 2, he starts off with his conclusion to all his sort of explorations of the world. (laughs) Devastating words, aren't they? Verse 2, meaningless. Meaningless, says the teacher. Utterly meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Aren't you glad we're doing Ecclesiastes? The way we translate the word meaningless is probably better to be translated like vapor or mist. You know that sort of stuff when you boil the kettle and all the, like, the vapour rises up off the kettle and you kind of see it but then it kind of disappears? That's kind of, well, the ca- that kind of captures the idea of the meaninglessness of life. It's there one minute and then it goes. Meaningless, meaningless, vanity, vanity, vapour, vapour, mist, mist, utterly mist. There one minute and then it goes away. That's his conclusion at the very beginning. And then he expects us to read on. And so let's read on. He then asks the question that sort of drives his whole book. What does man gain from all his labour at which he toils under the sun? What do you profit for all your effort? The idea there is to kind of capture commercial gain. For all your enterprise, what do you actually get at the end of the day? What do you gain from all this toil under the sun? It's repeated Under the sun is repeated 29 times. It picks up up the idea of what you can taste and touch and smell and see, this kind of physical world under the sun. What do you gain from life in this world under heaven, under the sun? And he basically just says it's all vapour. It's mist. You can't hang on to it. It doesn't last. It's meaningless because you can't hang on to it. That's what he kind of says. And then in verse 4, come with me here, then explores various aspects. And have a look End of, from verse 4 following. What do we gain? He goes, generations come and generations go, but the earth remains forever. The sun rises and the sun sets and hurries back to where it rises. The wind blows to the south and it turns to the north, round and round and round it goes, ever returning on its course. All streams flow into the sea, yet the sea is never full. To the place the streams come from, There they return again. You you kind of feel the circularity of life, don't you? That circular nature of life. Things just come and things just go. The sun comes up one day, it goes down at the end of the day, and then it comes up the next day. Life just kind of goes on and on and on. Life is just circular. Who here likes Formula One racing? Oh, for you, sheepish hands. I think it's one of the most stupid sports in the world. <laughs> Why do I think it's one of the? It goes with V eight supercars and the guys that ride motorbikes around and round and round. All they do it's it's an excuse for grown men to drive relic- ridiculously fast cars around a circuit. Some little dude runs out with a checkered flag, takes his life into his own hands, waves and waves and waves. The winner goes through, the second place goes through, the third place goes through. Then these grown men driving ridiculously fast cars around and around and around and around, the top three stand on a podium, get to spray champagne at each other, and then what do they do? They pack up their cars, drive to the next circuit, and they go around and around and around so they can spray champagne on each other again. (laughs) Stupid sport, although I do quite like it on the Sunday night after church just to kind of lay down. You never really get anywhere. What's the point? Much like the wind and the ocean and the waves and the streams just go round and round and round. The sun goes up, the sun goes down. Life is just circular. It never gets anywhere. It just goes round and round. And then he goes, nothing new under the sun. There's nothing new. Verse 8, all things are wearisome, more than one can say. The eye never has enough of seeing, nor the ear it's fill of hearing. What has been, that'll be again. What has been done will be done again. If There is nothing new under the sun. Is there anything of which one can say, look, there's something new? No. It was already there long ago. It was here before our time. Same, same, and same. Nothing new under the sun. I remember one day, one of the things I love to do is eat my breakfast with plenty of time. I've met a lot of people who don't like to do that, like to just rush out the door. I love just to stop, make a nice cup of coffee, some thick toast, put the newspaper out in front of me and just kind of just sit there and enjoy the moment. One day I was reading the newspaper in that beautiful moment. I'm flicking through and I was just into it. 20 minutes later I recognised it was last week's newspaper. Nothing new under the sun. It was the advertiser in Adelaide. Nothing really had changed. The same stuff just was going on, just in a different kind of guise. You might question my ability to read a newspaper properly. But, you know, there's that sense there. Nothing new under the sun. What was the greatest invention of the 20th century? What was the greatest invention of the 20th century? What was the greatest thing we gained from sending men to the moon? What was the greatest thing? Teflon. The greatest invention of the 20th century, in my opinion, we can argue about this after the service, was Teflon. Now I can make my eggs and bacon at home and it's all non-stick. There's really nothing new under the sun. Yes, I don't think all that here is saying technology is bad and we can't, you know, advance along and that, you know, but nothing really is new under the sun. Life just goes on and on. It's circular and it's the same. Are you wishing you didn't come to church tonight? Nothing new. He then goes to verse 12 or verse 11. There is no remembrance. Oh, then he goes to verse 11, sorry. There is no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered by those who followed. Isn't that a devastating verse? To think that you're made by God, you've had relationships with people, but you'll actually just be forgotten. I went to a funeral on uh, Wednesday of this week just gone by. I'd never met this man. I wished I'd met him. He was sent like an amazing man. But as I sat there and his grandchildren played around and his other children played, they will not know him. He'll just be forgotten. I was thinking about this the other day. Who was the 1987 Adelaide Hills floor routine gymnastics champion of the state? Me. It was an exceptional effort for an overweight eight-year-old. But no one remembers. I I barely remember. There's no remembrance of men of old. And even those who are yet to come will not be remembered. Isn't it devastating? No one remember me. I'll die. And it's most likely that my great-grandkids, my, the, my great-grand- they won't remember me. It's harsh reality. Then he goes, verse 12, I, the teacher, was king over Israel and Jerusalem. This is, this is a position. I devoted myself to study and explore by wisdom all that is done under the heaven. What a heavy burden God has laid on men. I've seen all the things that are done under the sun. All of them are meaningless, a chasing after the wind. It just goes, it vanishes. What is twisted cannot be straightened. What is lacking cannot be counted. I thought to myself, look, I've grown and increased in wisdom more than anyone who has ruled over Jerusalem before me. I've experienced much of wisdom and knowledge. Then I applied myself to understanding of wisdom and all the madness and folly, but I learned that this too is a chasing after the wind. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. Isn't that true? The more we know about things, the more we grieve the loss of things because of sin. Our rate of knowledge increases like fivefold every year with the expansion of the internet. With one click, you can find out the devastation of things around the world. I don't know that it really helps us very much. It grieves most of us. It's just vapour. Verse 18 again. For with much wisdom comes much sorrow. The more knowledge, the more grief. You can study and study and study and gain more knowledge and more knowledge. I think this is this hunger in our society for more knowledge and more power and that's got to be helpful for us in the end. But it's vapour. It's mist. You can't hold on to it. You die. And you can't take it with you still the great problem after this wise man of Jerusalem, Kohaled, explores everything. He had everything. Everyone was there at his beck and call, and yet he still goes. It's meaningless. It's vapor. It's a chasing after the wind. After everything, after circling, after inventing, after studying, after gaining a much wisdom, you die. Flick with me to chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes. Chapter 12 of Ecclesiastes, verse 1. Here's his big kind of encouragement to us in light of chapter 12. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them. Before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, the clouds return after the rain, and the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows, they grow dim. It's poetic language, isn't it? When the doors of the street are closed and the sounds of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint. when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, and the almond tree blossoms, and the grasshopper drags himself along, and desire is no longer stirred. It's a picture of getting old. And then you die. Then a man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. The encouragement of Koalat here is, you will die. So enjoy the days of your youth. I look out across most of you. You're pretty young. Enjoy the days of your youth. Enjoy the days that God has given you in these bodies. God is not ageist. He's not sort of saying, look at these old cronies as they kind of die. No, He is saying here, enjoy the days of your youth while you still can enjoy the days of this life that you've been given. I don't know about you, but I'm, not, I'm a Christian. I trust in the Lord Jesus Christ and that He will raise me on the last day. I'm not afraid of dying. But goodness me, I'm afraid of getting old. Really I am. I was a physiotherapist before I went into full-time ministry and I saw what the effect of ageing is on our bodies. And it's just not good when people begin to lose their memory, when you can no longer remember people around you, your loved ones, when your body just gives way, when you you get old and, well, you sleep so lightly that even the sound of a bird wakes you up. When you drag yourself along, once the hopping, joyful grasshopper, now dragging your body along because of injury. I fear getting old and kind of doing everything I can to not get old. I walked past a man the other day in the QVB. He was a beautiful-looking old man. He was struggling to walk along, and I kind of had this moment in my mind. I said, I wonder what he was like when he was young. Skipping along the QVB, probably. Enjoy the days of your youth. Make the most of the life that God has given you, the days in which you live now. Don't waste your life. I think this is a bit of a reality check. It's been a reality check for me. Maybe more of a sledgehammer for me in many ways. I hope you see the value of the life God has given you. Yes, God created this world for us to explore and to enjoy, but it's tainted by sin. We live in a corrupt world. And we, our bodies, are part of that corrupted world. They fail us. Enjoy the days of your youth. And then he goes right to the end. Have a look. This is the conclusion. Here's the narrator. Not only was the teacher wise, but also imparted knowledge to the people. He pondered and searched out and set in order many proverbs. The teacher searched to find just the right words, and that what he wrote was upright and true. The words of the wise, they're like goads. Goat is something that prods you in the backside. Gets you moving. Wakes you up. They're collected sayings. They're collected sayings like firmly embedded nails given by one shepherd. Be warned, my son, my daughter, of anything in addition to them. Of making many books, there is no end. And much study wearies the body. Amen to that. Now all has been heard. Here's his conclusion. Now all has been heard. Fear God. Keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man, for God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Fear God, reverence God, glorify God, live for God, and obey his word. That's the end of the matter for Kohelet. The reality is, friends, that we will die and then face judgment. I wonder how you're going to spend the days you've been given. We need an encouragement. We need encouragement. I need encouragement right now. Flick with me to 1 Peter chapter 1. We'll finish here. The reality is that as Kohelet looked out on the world, he said the only place for refuge is God. And praise be. Verse 3 of 1 Peter chapter 1. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And into an inheritance that can never perish, can never spoil or fade, kept in heaven for you who through faith are shielded by God's power until he is revealed in the last time. In God's mercy, seeing our plight, seeing that we were trapped in our sin, in God's mercy, God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, has given us new birth. We, who by nature are born into this sinful world and therefore die, we who trust in the Lord Jesus Christ have been given new birth. Not born of the earth, but born from heaven. Born above, in Jesus. Into a living hope. Not a hopeless hope. I think if you read Ecclesiastes too long, it will be a hopeless hope. That there's nothing, nothing lasts in this world. But we're born into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus. Jesus, who was born of a virgin into this world. He has overcome death and sin and so raised to life and we through faith in him too have a living hope where we will be raised with him he was the first to be raised those who trust in him will be raised and rather than living for a world which will perish, spoil and fade like the world in which we live it's decaying by Christ, through Christ for Christ by God's mercy we have been born again into our hope, and we have an inheritance that will never spoil, perish, or fade. It's not vapour. It's not mist. It's real. And it's eternal. Not fading away like this world, but eternal. Be reminded tonight of those two realities. You will die. We live in a world, we live in bodies which are decaying. Don't forget that. Don't waste the life you've been given by God but live it for the glory of God because you have been raised with Christ if you're a Christian here tonight and given a hope that can never be taken away from you, an inheritance that will never perish, spoil or fade. is that not something to live for? What are you doing with your life? What meaning will your life have? 1 Corinthians 6, 19 to 20. You are not your own if you're a Christian. You're bought with a price, the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, his body broken for you to bring you back from death to life. So glorify God in your body. How radical would it be if we actually lived that out? How amazing would our lives be if we actually lived that out, Live for the glory of God? So tonight I'm going to call for two groups to Repent. And I want us to do this together. If you're a Christian today, repent. Turn back to God today. Repent of the way you've become defined by your achievements, by your abilities, by your knowledge, by your wisdom, by your seeking to live only in this world, or your eyes are down. Lift your eyes. Repent. Turn back to God tonight. And say those words, I am not my own. I was bought with a price and tonight, Lord God, I'm going to live for your glory. Do it tonight. Live like you mean it. Pray for each other that we would live like that. Glorifying God in our body. Not so consumed by our own lives, but consumed by the life that we've been given in God. Repent. Live for the glory of your Messiah. If you're not a Christian today, I want to call you to repent. Without Christ, you will die. Without hope. Turn from living for yourself, turn to God, the living God. You are not your own. Bought with a price. Jesus laid down his life for you that you would be free of the fear of death and live for his glory. Turn to God. Let God be your story, not I studied this, I created that, I lived for that. No, I lived for Jesus, the Messiah who laid down his life. Lose your life tonight and save your life tonight. Come to God. Come to Jesus. I hope it's been a reality check for you. I want to finish with these beautiful words of C.S. Lewis. And I think this is a great perspective on Ecclesiastes. C.S. Lewis wrote, I believe in Christianity as I believe the sun rises, not because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. are they beautiful words? Raised to new life in Christ. It's as fact as the sun will rise tomorrow. The sun will rise, but it's by the eyes that God has given me in Christ Jesus that I see everything as it really is. And so now I live for the hope of of the glory. The inheritance will never fail, never spoil, never perish. Do it all for the glory of God. Glorify God in your bodies. You're not your own. Live for him. Let's pray. Father, thanks for the message of Ecclesiastes. Father, we pray with thanks that you intended for us here tonight to read Ecclesiastes, to hear the encouraging, beautiful words of 1 Peter. Father, thank you that you knew before the foundations of the earth that we would be looking at this passage tonight. And Father, I thank you that you, by your mercy and grace and in your sovereignty, you ordained it that all of us here sitting tonight would hear this word and so by your spirit, Spirit strengthened by your spirit help us to repent help us to come back to our, sa- our saviour remind us impress it on our hearts that we belong to you God we've been bought by you, you've purchased us from death to life So help us to live for your glory in our bodies going forth this week. May you do mighty things amongst us. In Jesus' precious name. Amen.